With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. This is the Tennis.com podcast, everyone. Welcome back. Um, this is Ed McGrogan talking with Steve Tigner. Uh, Monday, we wanted to uh, start the week off with our our weekend review. Um, quite a bit in the the waning, really the last day of February, uh, where all the all the uh, you know as we make our way into March into the bigger events. But but as you have have wrote, written, Steve, you know. February sort of came in on a low and really, you know, went out with a lot more than we may have expected. Yeah. You know, we, we, this month isn't, isn't the biggest month. It's probably, you know, probably the least important. There's no grand slam, no masters this year, no Davis cup, you know, especially on the men's side, it's, it's a lot of smaller tournaments, but by the end, you know, you could really see the season sort of starting the post Australian open season, starting with Federer, beating Djokovic um, in Dubai, and on the same day, Nadal winning his first tournament since last year, um, and really starting to, you know, both of them looking good. Those were two guys that in Australia, they went out Federer very early, Rafa pretty early. Um, you sort of started to wonder about them, Federer getting older, Rafa always seeming to be injured, but you know, here they were really playing the way you remember them playing. Federer coming up with a, a big win over the number one player and, and Rafa really finally looking like, you know, the player we we remember. And and judging by how he's how he did a couple of years ago on clay and what he did after that, you know, that's a that's a positive sign and you suddenly feel like there's a lot happening on in the ATP side. Yeah, yeah, and it will We'll get to all that for sure, because um, you know beyond Roger and Rafa, there was even another winner that we'll get to as well that I think is worth our time talking about. Um, but I wanted to get um, start off with the WTA. Actually, um, your you know your piece on the site today is very centered on the men. We wanted to talk lead with the women here. You know, in reality, about one significant tournament last week that was in. In Doha, um, there was also a tournament in Monterey, but but Doha was really where the you know the major players were centered. Um, despite a few pullouts beforehand, uh, you had a final of you had a good field. You had a final of Victoria Azarenka, Lucy Safarova, Safarova um, taking that match over Azarenka six four six three. Actually, went through this draw very smoothly for her. There's you know from the quarterfinals and beyond. Um, she won her matches all in straights, all pretty convincingly. And you know, Safarova is a player that I think we always, you know, we've seen her in, um, we've seen her in Fed Cup for sure at the end of the years, but we've seen her really make some 
sort of sporadic appearances in the slams as a, as a very tough unseated player and, you know, as a tough lower seed too. And, um, yeah, I just kind of wonder, you know, we really haven't talked about her much in detail. You know, what, you know, what about her game has made her, you know, makes her, you know, such a, a strong player at times. Yeah. She's sort of a, you know, she's has been an upset artist to a degree, but somehow has never been in the top 10. She's up to number 11 now. Um, she's 28 has always sort of been, you know, she's been the second player, from the Czech Republic after Kvitova, she, um, you know, she has, you know, she might, maybe she, ha- she has a good game, but not, you know, she doesn't have the huge power to, or speed to hang with the very top players, but you always feel like she, she hasn't done as much as, as she should have. And this tournament, as you said, was a, was a, was a big, a big event for her. She beat Stoser, Makarova, Petkovic, Suarez Navarro, and Azarenka, um, most of those matches in straight sets. You know, she, as far, from what I can see in the in her last two matches, she really played, you know, she really played points better in this tournament than I think I'd seen her that I remembered seeing, constructing points. She, you know, not just going for one winner, but 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 building a point and coming in off a, off a good forehand and finishing at the net. You know, a little more constructed tennis than than what we'd seen. And against Azarenka, especially, she um, she really used her serve well. Which is you know a shot she can use that lefty serve, but this time it really she really used it as a you know as a way to get out get out of trouble, which I hadn't seen as much from her in the past either. Um, she yeah, never beat the never thing Nazarenka. She's zero and six before this, so you know to beat her in straight sets, even though Vika is just coming back, you know that, that's a you know that's a big win. And, and Safarova has gone pretty far at, at at the Slam, so she's not somebody you would think is a flash in the pan. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure it was Wimbledon that she has gone to the. Um, she was in the semis. To the semis, uh, I think this was within the past two to three years. But yeah, you, you do have the lefty game, which is always you know a built-in advantage over the most part. And and as you say, the forehand for her is is the shot that comes to mind when I think of, um, you know, really the the quintessential Safarova points. Um, and you know, as you say, these were very convincing wins, and I think, and I do agree with you. The win over Azarenka shouldn't be understated, you know, primarily because I think coming away from the first two months of um, of 2015, uh, if you want to discuss really the women's players that I think have made the most impression, um, Azarenka has to be mentioned in there. Uh, you know, coming into the Australian Open, getting, you know, as probably as tough a draw as, as you want to ask for, and, uh, and and going through that, you know, into the second week, and, you know, really her story has been told, you know, quite a bit now, but, you know, she's, she's really moved past that story and really has seemed to kind of embrace her new situation here with Coach Sam Sumick and, or, excuse me there, and she... And she, it, it just seems like a new, revitalized Azarenka, but not just in saying that, but in the results we're seeing as well. Yeah, I think you, I think you could really. It's a good question as to which is the, which is the more impressive or more significant result: Safarova winning or Azarenka reaching the final, and the way she reached the final. That, you know, as far as what's going to happen in the future, that may be the bigger deal. She beat Kerber, Svitolina, Wozniacki, and Venus. And then she did look, you know, she she had a little trouble with her ankle in the final. She just missed a couple shots at the end of the first set that 
I would say that she normally would miss make just a couple of misfires that that um, may have you know sort of turned the tables in this match. And I think she you know she would normally expect to make, and she expected to win. So yes, you know she has a new coach, Wim Fizet, and 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 like you said, her reaching this final, you know, I feel like that that in a way is is maybe even the more more important um, result from this weekend, even than than Safarova's win. Yeah, it's a it's a good takeaway from this, and 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 I think you know we'll see a lot of that bear out this month. I think you know I think maybe one thing about February is that we we kind of size up the players that we really want to pay attention to in March. And, uh, and that usually isn't necessarily the, the top, top players. Um, you know, Serena, of course, is a, is a case that we really want to see in Indian Wells. But, but I think that this month has, has given us quite a few names that, um, that we want to see if, if they can persist in really the next tier of tournaments just below the slams. I think Safarova and Vika are two really strong examples of that on the women's side. I think for the men's side now, I've become somehow really this it kind of defies all logic. I'm I'm curious to see more David Ferrer, which is is not not a sentence you often hear on on this podcast or anywhere else. But but he has got an 18 and one record now in 2015. He's got three titles, you know, before two months of play has even elapsed. Um, and you know the. The uh, the David Ferrer obituary, you know, had to be uh, you know had to be taken out of published before the uh, before this date because it's really actually turned into probably I'm sure the best start of his career to this point and and you know he was you know really one of even with Federer beating Djokovic and Rafa winning you know his first title in some time you know Ferrer's win was pretty noteworthy in its own right. Yeah, you could you know Ferrer, three tournament wins already, eighteen and one wins, two straight weeks, one on clay and one on hard courts. Um, he just turned thirty-two, so so all you know. I don't know whether that means he gets back in the top five or gets back to a Grand Slam semi. I don't know if that necessarily means that, but he's another guy who's sort of in the way of any younger players coming up, as he showed in the final of this tournament in Acapulco. He beat. Nishikori, you know, Nishikori was a guy who was also looking like, you know, also had a strong start to the year, also won a tournament, um, had beaten Ferrer four straight times, and this time Ferrer got him. So, in a way, it's it's just another obstacle of you know this older generation throws up. So you know, we'll see what Ferrer does. He he's he's never, you know, I don't think he's ever done that much at Indian Wells, but um, but you know he, he's he's definitely solid for another year. Yeah, and, and you know, one thing I think about with Ferrer is, you know, the comparison is not there in many in in many many ways with Rafa. But what I got what I got thinking about is that is seeing Ferrer, you know, at age thirty two, really sort of pushing the you know pushing the the talk of of waning play and and just continuing to be at the top tier, you know, he has continued to really defy that. And, um, and I wonder if perhaps we, you know, for so many years we've thought of Nadal as, you know, with such a physically demanding game as a player that would break down earlier than most other pros do just because of his style. And Ferrer to me, you know, plays, you know, just as demanding a style in many ways. And, 
And Ferrer, for his part, has been doing just fine going into his early 30s here. And I, I just you know wonder if if maybe we are selling Rafa, you know, quite a bit short in, in that department as well. You know, he he has of course um, injuries that Ferrer hasn't dealt with, but you know, really every time that Rafa, you know, ha, has made his his inroads back, you know, it's been a success. And I, I'm just kind of thought about that comparison looking at you know how Rafa did this week and then again you know how Ferrer did this week as well yeah I think Ferrer shows that um you know it's still mind over matter it's if you don't get burned out mentally if you if you're a guy like Ferrer who just needs to make his money winning week by week he's never going to win the giant paycheck at a grand slam or at at um or at the sort of at the Masters Cup World Tour final you know he's He's a guy who's got to play all the time. He's made a lot of money doing that, and he's still, you know, he's he's still hungry and has never seemed to to be mentally to to flag at all. That that to me shows that Rafa, you know, maybe you know, there's he can go that long as well. His because he doesn't seem to have any. He seems as you know as much desire to win as he ever as he did when he was 18. You know, even after I think. I think some of the ups and downs may help him last a little longer in a way in that that he hasn't played week in and week out as much as as much as some other players sort of the way Andre Agassi lasted longer than Pete Sampras he had his ups and downs and then and Pete sort of played all the way through and retired earlier than Andre that it could be a situation where where the sort of ups and downs of Rafa's career keep him going a little longer than maybe he would have otherwise yeah, and you know, you know, for this week for Rafa, he, you know, he, speaking of his title win, it was, you know, as he has often done, he, you know, whether it's a small event, whether it's a major event, um, Rafa seems to treat titles equally, and he just perhaps as he treats his opponents equally, he he goes out of his way to say, you know, you know, whether you believe it or not, is that. You know he, you know any challenge that that is put in front of him just seems to be, you know, sort of a test that um, that he measures himself against, and and you know I think that's you know you could say that for his whole career as to how he has treated the sport, but I think you know that's you know that's one thing that I noticed too about Rafa is um, is like you say is that desire is not gone. In some ways, it may be almost even more intense. Like he knows he. He like he knows he has to continually prove himself against this, um, you know, the advancing of age and the uh, you know the competition that I w- I would say is you know relentless over time and you know this week he gets it done um, and as you say uh, really looking at times like the Rafa we know on clay. Yeah, it wasn't the biggest tournament. It was a 250, and he beat his friend on Monaco in the final. But I felt like. This is the first time I'd seen Rafa look like himself on clay in in quite a while or look like himself you know his bring some of something like his best game in a long time it really happened in the quarters against Del Bonus obviously not a top level opponent but just the way it all moved hit his forehand defended did all the little things that sort of come back later when it, when somebody's making a comeback they were all there for him um and you know that's what clay that's what clay does for him and we'll see if he can if he can use that to move into other surfaces the way he has in the past so let's end with Roger Federer being Novak Djokovic another sentence we don't always say on this podcast we're going to 
we're going to leave this one till the end here, and maybe that kept you listening around for these past 15 minutes. But um, for these two, going into this week, I know I think you viewed this as a pretty significant or pretty important one for for Roger. I mean, Novak really has you know little to lose or little to gain, I think, in an event like this. Um, Roger, you know, coming off a, a, a um, title in Brisbane, disappointing exit at the Australian Open, and, you know, gets as big of a test as you can ask for at, at an event that, you know, he's had great success in, but, you know, he's playing clearly the number one player in the world there. You know, how did you, how do you kind of really put this as a takeaway on, from Federer, you know, seeing, you know, seeing really the, the continued sustenance of, you know, of his great play, you know, as he's really approaching, you know, 30 midway through his 33rd year. Yeah. He, um, he was good throughout this tournament. The fast courts helped him. Um, you know, the course that he likes, he likes this place, obviously seven titles there. He looked really sharp and, and not a lot of the sort of rustiness you might expect or anything early on the way he showed at the Australian open. Um, and against Djokovic, he, he outplayed him in the first set, and then he really outserved him in the second set. That's that's kind of the Federer mo against against top players. Even when he struggles a little, he can hang in with his serve. And I think he's he didn't he wasn't great at the net, but just the overall aggressiveness. He really, you know, he Djokovic was always reacting to to Federer, and, and Djokovic said afterwards it really wasn't that much he could have done. You know, Federer had seven, Djokovic had seven break points, and on most of them. Federer wiped it away with a serve. Uh, and, you know, he just, Federer looked like, you know, playing, he looked like from the baseline as, and, and being on top of his game as, as good as he has it. You know, I, like I said, I'd wondered about what an early loss at the Australian would do for him and have to build back his momentum, but it's obviously there. He, you know, he, he seems solid for the long haul. Um, and, and really fin, you know, normally, a match with Novak, you would expect him to win the first set, lose the second set, and we'll see what happens in the third. But, um, but this time, you know, he he seemed like he was he was really the better player throughout. You know, Djokovic has, like you said, has nothing really to lose. He has the Australian Open, and and Federer doesn't. But this this makes that rivalry and you know interesting again. It puts Federer back in with Rafa back in you know in the mix at the top and. After the Australian, I think some people thought, well, maybe this is Novak's year to really, to really um, distance himself from those guys. But I don't, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we should uh, discount the you know, the best two out of three set format. Also, I don't want to take anything away from Roger, but it's always important, I think, to remember that part about these events is that, um, especially when it comes to Novak, who has demonstrated you know so, so well in best of five play and and and. Um, and but but overall, it it has been a year thus far, of a pretty a pretty good crop of of top top tier depth. Again, assuming itself atop the ATP leaderboard, we've really had highlights. I think from from you know almost all the big four at this point, and um, really some you know some disappointments from players. Um, you know, Grigor Dimitrov definitely comes to mind, but if I want to make a specific case, but, but you do, you know, we have seen some strong play from, you know, others as well. Nishikor, we've mentioned, you know, Ferrer gets, you know, gets one on him this week, but, 
Yeah, this has been already. I think we see where Nishikori is going. You know that trend seems to be you know a true a true estimation of where we're, of where we think about him and yeah, Thomas Burdich as well. You know, doing I think well over these two months. I don't think we want to forget that. Um, but it, it's been I think it's been a very nice two months for for the ATP and you know I think it makes you know it makes Indian Wells in Miami I think particularly interesting because. Um, you know, we'll see where they go, but I think either way we're going to get some very strong tennis. Yeah, it's true, right? Federer hasn't won a Grand Slam in almost three years. Rafa just won one last year. Um, so the three out of five does make a difference with these guys. But then again, all the Masters are two out of three. Every tournament other than, than the Grand Slams is two out of three. So I feel like this does these wins and Federer's win over Djokovic does have significance for the rest of the season. Yeah, we will. Um, we'll see where that picks up. Uh, you know, they're going to be one, two. They're going to be on opposite sides of the draws for, uh, you know, for both of these two upcoming Masters events. So we'll see, you know, if both of them can survive till the end. But there's much in the way, as you know, as we've discussed here. So um, we'll pick things up uh, next week after a round of a, you know, a significant round of Davis Cup. There'll be, you know, all 16 teams in action, of course. Uh, and much discuss as we lead our way into Indian Wells. So for Steve Tigner, this is Ed McGrogan. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.